Hey guys, this is Holly and Laura. And we were supposed to air this episode uh, around the time that Melissa's book came out on February 28th. Um, But we are in New York and we got lazy. And so we are releasing this a couple weeks early so that we have something on Wednesday. So we hope you guys enjoy this. If there's any references to dates, just keep in mind this is supposed to be released two weeks from today. All right. Love you guys. Bye. There is hope for us yet We are young, we are wet I am Laura McCowan There is no time for And I am Holly Whitaker And this is Home Podcast And so it would begin Hello Hello Does my voice still kill you, bother you? Yes Make you angry (laughs) my voice make you angry <laughs> i actually like the way sick people sound just so you know i think i sound cute when i'm sick mm-hmm. i think i sound less annoying when i'm sick <laughs> i think when i'm not sick so much much more annoying uh i'm like this makes me so nice and invulnerable or vulnerable and sweet <laughs> like, okay don't you want to just tuck me in a bed and give me a teddy bear? Mm-hmm. Um, no? Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, let's talk. Let's let's say some... Some, some things? Some things. So, yeah. So um, this is another longish conversation that we had. So we won't take too long with the intro. But... Oh, my God. I loved this conversation. Oh. I loved it. <laughs> Um, I still like shudder just thinking about it just because, mm. uh, I mean like I, okay. So the, you'll hear this in, but I found this woman because I was dating somebody and, um, her we're talking about Melissa Fibos and I, I found her because I was dating somebody and he's like telling me that he dated two dominatrixes and used to work at a, I think he used to work at a dungeon. And then he's like, and one of them, one of them wrote a book. And this is like on our first date. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, and then that stuck with me. Like I normally don't get like girl, ex-girlfriend kind of stuff, you know, yeah. like whatever. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I was like, okay, like intimidated. Like, Oh, what, what do you like? What, what kind of sex are you used to? Was the first thought. And the <laughs> second thought was she wrote a book. Um, and so yeah. I, I found her and he and I didn't work out, but I became um, really fascinated with her and, and you'll see why. Um, and just spent like the last year looking at her stuff. And I finally, like I would, I wouldn't, I never read her book cause I felt like that was where I drew the line of, of stalking. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did actually like read a lot of her articles and I started, you know, getting really interested in when, you know, Sarah Hippola was talking about her work and, um, yeah. anyway, I just finally sent her an email and was like, uh, it's a funny story. Hey. <laughs> hey, and she's entirely, I mean, I don't like saying the world the word girl crush um and i but i have like i'm a fangirl how about that i am yeah. like a total yeah. fangirl of her she's eloquent and like her i read whip smart and then i read abandon me and i wanted to eat it it was so good it was one of the best written books i've ever read and it captured my um my experience of things yeah it, i mean you you talk about that because 
I think that. For yeah, you is- no, I, I, um, you, I mean, I, I had known about her cause you would t- sort of kept me, uh, you know, but not like in a, you weren't talking about hey, it a lot or you anything. It's a word yesterday. What? <laughs> I said, Hey, you know what Melissa wore yesterday? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> no, you were like, you were like, um, I knew, you know, cause I knew about the, the guy, the story of the guy and I, so I'd been following along and stuff. Um, but you, when you, when you read her first book, Whip Smart, then you started to talk about her writing. And, um, I mean, we're always trading back and forth. Like you got to read this, you got to read this. And so it's like, okay, yeah, I'll add it to my list. Um, <laughs> and then you're like, okay, we're having her on, um, which I was excited about, but it meant I needed to read her book, uh, Abandon Me. And, I read it in I, I it wasn't that I didn't want to read it. It's just like there's, well, a, there's list. a million things. That, yeah, no, no, no. And yeah. um, and we don't always like the same books like you and I, you know, so I um, but you were like, you will love this. Like, you're going to love it. And so I read it in less than 24 hours. Um, and it was exactly what you said. I mean, she is from a writer's perspective. Oh, my gosh. She's a, a brilliant writer. So smart and eloquent. And um, yeah, she she does the thing that is, you know, the reason why I read and certainly I think most people read um, is to capture an experience, tell you something in a way that as you see it and feel it and process it in a, in a different way, um, a shared experience, you know, it's like, oh, my God, that's what happened. But I didn't know how to say it or I didn't. It, it, it's like food, you know, it's like eating very nourishing food. And her book was like that. I, and I texted, you know, my, a bunch of people and said the same, you know, like, okay, when this comes out, you have to read it, order it now. And that's Um, how I feel about it too. Like, I think it, like everyone, I think every woman who, mm. who every woman should read this book because it, like, it's one of those things. It's so hard to capture some of the, some of the feelings and emotions and and the experiences that she captures. I just, I, I can't explain. It's really hard to put words on it. And she put words on, on feelings that, for on some level felt unique only to me. It was like, and, and you know, it wasn't my, it's not my story, but it's the story of, it's the story yeah. of, 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 well, uh, it's a father daughter story. Uh, um, that it's that it's, uh, you know, anyone who's been in, who's been, um, obsessed with someone before, you know, yeah. like is can relate. And I don't know anyone who hasn't really. And, I don't know, being a woman and, and anyone who's certainly sort of in recovery can relate. I think it's just, it corrends a, cr- a lot of themes um, that are so universal and beautiful. And I mean, from a literary perspective, it it's like a, um, a really beautiful piece of work. She brings in, um, so she brings in a lot of um, comparison to fairy tales and she brings in real K within She's like the so first smart. How does she, like that? Didn't that strike you? Like, how do you know all of that? How did you know? All, like, did you feel that way? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with me. the fairy tale stuff, I totally did. Cause I don't really know those. Um, but, and yeah, I did. I mean, I, I'm always astonished anytime someone can, she writes, this book is written in a very postmodern style, which is kind of kaleidoscope and 
bring lots of different pieces together. Um, and sometimes that fails miserably. Um, but it, it does it works for her. And it, you know, there's a few other books that I've read that where it, it works. And when it does, it's like, it's amazing. I mean, I, I aspire to write like that. Someday. Yeah, no. And I, so. and that was another piece that you and I both got from it, which was that when, as I was reading it, it just gave me a license to, to write how I want to write often when I'm writing. I'm like, can I say that? Can I say it like that? Yeah. Right? And we go by these rules, but at the same time, you know, like she breaks a lot of the rules or creates a lot of the rules. I wouldn't even say breaks it. Um, and as I was reading it, I really had this, uh, this feeling of, I didn't know I could do that. Um, I didn't know we yeah. were allowed to do that. Um, and it, and it inspired me to want to write my story. And yeah, it was just, it was, it's a really, really beautiful book. And then in this, this conversation was a complete and total treat. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so glad that, um, I'm so glad that I found her, um, you know, however weird it was. I'm laughing because I'm, yeah, I'm like, thanks. I wanted to say his name. No, but it's not. Yeah. Um, thanks, dude. Thank you, dude. dude. You, there was some good in you after all. All right. Um, so Melissa Phoebos is the author of Whip Smart. So Whip Smart was a, a book that she wrote in 2010 about her years as a professional dominatrix. So she was going to school to get her MFA from Sarah Lawrence um, and also at the end of her, you know, uh, her uh, undergraduate. Um, so it talks about her work as a professional dominatrix and talks about her overcoming her addiction to um, – well, to, to drugs, um, mostly heroin. Um, but she, it's a, it's a wonderful book. It's, it's an interesting book and it also is more, it ties in more to the addictive piece. And then, uh, her next writing abandoned me comes out on February 28th and abandoned me is again, a memoir. It's a collection of essays and it talks, um, it talks about, it runs the same themes, right? Finding ourselves through these different experiences and different addictions and the holes, like, you know, filling the holes and, um, and it's, but it also explores, I mean, it explores love addiction on a level that we've never explored. And, um, and the depths of it. Um, and it's, f- it's a fantastic read, um, that she is the head of, not the head. Um, she is, she's on the board of, uh, Vita, um, women in literary arts. And she's also an assistant professor and also a faculty professor at, uh, a few different colleges in, in New York. Um, and you yeah, can and find her website her- is, yeah. Oh, Sorry. go ahead. No, I was going to say her website is melissafibos.com. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, all right, here's an amazing conversation and one of my favorite podcasts today. Here we go. Hey, Melissa. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Hi. Thank you. Hi. Thank you for being here and answering my super weird email. Um, yeah, I want to know what that email looked like. It said, "Do you? <laughs> do you want to? Why don't you? Why don't you say, Melissa?" Well, I believe that the subject heading actually said "weird fucking email." Mm-hmm. I believe that was the subject. <laughs> I, I could pull it up, but I'm not going to. That it. sounds about right. And the gist of it was, I used to date your ex-boyfriend, and I no longer date him, but I'm interested in you. Yeah, <laughs> not that for was me. It. Just 
like in general. That was yeah. it. Right. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, I um I dated somebody that you were with and I it's so weird because I'm not um I'm actually not somebody that stalks other people's ex-girlfriends um at all. And <laughs> He had said that he had dated somebody and the only details he gave me, he didn't give me your name. He just said that his ex-girlfriend had written a book on being a dominatrix and so intimidating slightly. And so, um, so that's why I looked it up because, because you're a writer and also because I didn't know what a dominatrix was really, truly. Um, and I believe it. I, found you and then like he actually he and I had a it was I dated him for a very short period of time and I had a very it's like a a, I had a an experience with him that feels like it's so appropriate for the conversation we're about to have about your new book um but I yeah yeah and but I but the thing is that I became um I just I stalked you more than I stalked him and it wasn't like and I'm trying to put it together I mean Laura no like I think and Laura has said like I truly think um part of the reason that I met him was to find your work because your work is breathtaking and um but it's but it's so weird because I didn't read Whip Smart until last week because I also felt like I was until I talked to you until I like had this permission because I also felt like I didn't want to cross that line Mm -hmm. Of invading mm-hmm. your space um, because of how I came to know you. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I found that you had I, – I read a lot of the articles that you've published. Um, <laughs> and then I just – I don't know what it was, but I just got up the – I don't know what it was. I don't know what pushed me over the edge. I think it was, like, reading the one of your latest things about being um, celibate and about coffee creamer. And uh-huh. um, <laughs> And I just – I don't know. I just felt like it was time – so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say that I find it totally flattering and not at all creepy. Unlike <laughs> the first date I went on a couple of weeks ago where the other person, I had not even told them my full name and they had found out somehow and like read everything mm. and basically arrived at the date. Like I've been waiting for you. Oh, <laughs> so, no. Yes, yes. Have you ever been on a first date where somebody says, I'm afraid you're going to abandon me? Because I have. <laughs> and it was oh the same date. No. Yeah. Um, Wait, anyway, I'm sorry. You, I'm sorry. What What I, did they say? They said, I'm afraid you're going to abandon me. Like that phrase was no. uttered on a first date. No. <laughs> yes. It mm. happened. It happened. Uh, <laughs> it clearly doesn't have the intuitive sense uh, of good boundaries that you have. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I've kept good boundaries. Um, but it's been, I don't know, it's been interesting. Um, I find you to be, I mean, I found you to be utterly fascinating before I even started to delve into your work. And and now it's, um, and now it's even more so. So you have written, I mean, just to kind of like get us up to speed, you've written two books. You wrote a book in 2010. Is that right? Mm-hmm. In 2010, called Whip Smart, or it was published in 2010, called Whip Smart, and this is about your um, your work as a professional dominatrix, and also about drug addiction, about you overcoming mm-hmm. drug addiction. Um, and then you recently published a book called Abandon Me, which is what we're going to focus most of our conversation on. Um, that's yet to be published. That so comes out when it's February 28th. 28th. Okay. Oh cool. my god. I know. <laughs> I know. It's wow. Soon. Soon. Very soon. So 
how do you want to start this, Laura? I mean, there's so we both well, have a ton of questions. Um, but Laura, I'll let you yeah, kind of jump just in. Start. I mean, I'm, I'm, um, ha, this is a weird first question, but whatever. How, how long did it take you to write this book? Because when I was reading it, I'm like, this is like, um, like it's, it felt like a lifetime of like, this could have taken her whole life to write this book, which in some sense, I guess it did, but yeah. it's like pretty fresh. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, both of those things are true. It's so gratifying to hear you say that because I think both of those things are true. You know, the the insights that I come to in the book took me my lifetime to get to. There's no earlier point in my life at which I would have been capable of coming to the understanding that I did in this book. Um, but the actual writing of it took about, let's see. I guess I started it, I don't know, like two or three years. And there's a couple of essays that, um, like the essay Labyrinths, I started mm-hmm. like seven years ago. And it's been through various incarnations. <laughs> okay, I was working I was, on that for a long time. But yeah. but most of them, all the, I think actually all the rest happened within the last three years. Okay. Yeah. And you are, how old are you? Are you 36? I am. Okay, cool. Um, all right. So this book, so when I read this, this is, this is way different than whip smart. Like whip smart was a really well told Mm -hmm. story. Um, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't expecting this book to be as it was. And I'm, I'm one of like Laura and I talked about this. I told Laura, I started reading, I started reading abandon me before she started reading it. And she and I have very different styles. I'm very like, I mean, I'm just, I'm very scientific. I'm very, I like uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of nonfiction books. And I told her that Mm -hmm. she would love this book. And she thought that she would not love this book because usually she and I don't love the same books. Um, but I, and it's diff, it's true. It's different than, it's different than what I normally read, but because I, I'm more of a, I don't know, it's, it's, it's more poetic than something that I normally read. But I think because mm-hmm. I had this like fascination with you before I read it. And then also because I read whip smart, like right before I read it, um, there's just, there's a, there's an intimacy there that really drew me into something that I, I probably wouldn't normally, um, get into. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's so different and it's so big and it's so, um, I mean, how, how do you feel this is different? Like, how did you make the leap from writing a memoir like Whip Smart, which is pretty linear, um, Mm -hmm. to writing something like this? I mean, which do you, this feels like this is you and, and how was that? Mm -hmm. Like, how did that change and how did that progress? Well, pretty much everything about the process of writing each of these books was different, um, which is weird and was terrifying because I'm a very pragmatic writer. Um, I, you know, I tend to work from outlines. I have a very circumscribed process. Um, and with the first book, with the first book, I was much younger. I was in graduate school when I started it. Um, and I didn't, know very much about writing. You know, I'd been doing it my whole life, but I didn't really know how to write a book. But I had a story that was felt urgent. You know, when I started writing Mm -hmm. it, it felt like I was drawing from a very deep well that was overflowing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. So, Mm -hmm. so I wrote that book in the order that it happened relatively quickly for a person who does not know how to write a book. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's interesting that you say that the second book is me because I agree, but I also think that the first book was 
an accurate image of who I was at that time um, and the degree of sort of vulnerability, artistic craft and access to self that I had at the time, mm -hmm. which meant that yeah. I was still sort of a dominatrix in some ways, you know, like the first, mm -hmm. the first chapters of that book I actually gave to my therapist who is depicted in the book. And, <laughs> and she, you know, was not like my classmates um, impressed by my metaphorical prowess. She was like, she was like, you're not being honest. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, you're still playing the role of Justine, like you need to get real. Like you were not this tough, dissociated person. Um, and so, she, did she mean you were trying to control it by shaping the story in a certain way? No, I think she meant more sort of the voice and my perceptions, where mm. I was like, I was still being tough in the. Yeah. I, I hadn't yet found what I had really felt. Right. So, like a, yeah. a huge, like what's the hardest part? Maybe emotional part of writing memoir is that you have to be sort of an emotional detective and you have to, you know, the things that people write memoirs about are usually traumatic or shocking or transformative. And in experiences like that, our psyche doesn't always give us access to the full range of our feelings. And so when you're writing about it, you have to go back and find those feelings. And I hadn't fully done yeah. that yet. Yeah. Um, and, and I think I did a lot of it, but still when you read it, it's still... It, it I, I didn't have access to as much as I as I did writing abandon me um, and so I think I hide in the intellectual analysis sometimes in the story um, and and it's a very different a very different kind of storytelling and with abandon me um, I mean my process was so incredibly different where from choosing the title to the way I wrote it to the way I came to the understandings in that book. Like I had the title, usually the title is the last thing I do. Mm -hmm. And in that book, I thought of the title before I even started the book when I was still in the relationship that I described mm -hmm. in the book. I was really, Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to write a book about this and it's going to be called abandon me. And I had no idea what form it was going to take. Mm -hmm. I did not envision the form that it has taken. Um, and I just wrote that title on an index card and like stuck it up on my wall. And there it stayed um, until I was actually writing the book, you know? Um, so, okay. I have to ask then. So, mm -hmm. because I think I, I, I relate to that. Like you're always experiencing what you're experiencing, but you're also experiencing your, your life as a writer too. Right. 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 And, Right. So, so did you know when, like, did you know how this was going to end? No, <laughs> I didn't know how it was going to end at all. And really, uh, oh God, fact, through the whole thing, I'm like, she knows, she knows how this ends. I mean, right? I, I mean, like, did I know in that like deep wisdom of the self way? Of course it was insane. Yeah. Like there was only one right answer. Right. right. But as it was happening, I was very convinced. And in fact, I fought that. And like, I remember when I was writing the title essay, which was supposed to be 40 pages. And after I passed a hundred pages, I was at a residency and I had this very clear thought and I was still together with the woman in the book who I described. Yeah. And I was still with her, you know, I was like, you know, fighting on the phone with her every night, walking around the woods, waving my phone, trying to get a signal so we could keep fighting. And, um, and I was like, I just had this thought where I was like, the best ending for this story is if I leave, you know, mm. I was like, that's the best ending. And it wasn't even, I should leave. Cause I just like, wasn't right. about thinking that cause I was trying so hard to stay in it. Um, 
But I was like, that is the ending that makes the most sense for this story. And then I just continued writing and I actually wrote an entire version of that final essay um, almost all the way to the end in which I was thinking in my mind that we were going to stay together and then we broke mm -hmm. up. And and I didn't do it for the, for the work, but I was like, well, I was right. <laughs> um, I did it because wow. the reasons I describe in this, you know, I like physically, it was almost like I, like I, my body just started physically rejecting the relationship. I could no longer do it. But the interesting part, and this brings in our mutual ex, Holly, is that I wrote a version of that story after the relationship ended and I wasn't, it was like a really... It was like a nicer version of the story where I didn't admit how crazy I had been mm -hmm. or <laughs> dynamics of our relationship that were so problematic. I basically wrote a version that didn't terrify me and that she would be comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. And my first reader was our mutual ex. I sent it to him, which is not a very nice thing to do to your current no. person. <laughs> very, very long story about having sex and being obsessed with someone else in a way that you were not obsessed with him. Um, yeah. So I sent it to him and a very good friend of mine. Um, and both of them basically said the same thing where he was like, and it, with him it was particularly weird because he was like, <laughs> he was like, it doesn't make sense why you broke up. He's yeah. like, I don't, and, and he was like, I right, don't feel desperate is, enough. Yeah. He's like, this is like uncomfortable for me, like as the person you're dating, but also as a reader, like it doesn't make sense because you're like crying all the time in it. And it's like, you're freaking out, but I don't quite understand why. And I also don't know why you break up because it all seems very hot and romantic, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then my friend who, you know, knew me and was there. Is it your friend in the a book? Meet? Is it a meet? No, it's yeah. not a meet. It. It's a different it's a friend. Okay. It's a, yeah, no, it's not a meet. It's a different friend. Um, a meet and I were still pretty estranged at that point. I would not yeah. have sent it to her. But um, but this other friend I had had very long um, conversations with throughout the entire um, course of the relationship. And she said, this is a very beautiful story and this is not what happened. Like I was there. <laughs> she was like, you're writing a story that she's not going to be upset about. And that yeah. doesn't risk exposing yourself or um, taking accountability for sort of your, how you were complicit in this insanity. Right. And um, she was like, you could publish this. People will read it and enjoy it. She's like, but it's not to the degree that I understand memoir and nonfiction yeah. this is fiction and I was like oh yeah <laughs> um, yeah and what were you trying to like so I mean I have some I know Lauren I both have so many questions about Amaya but what were you trying I mean I hate her I I do like reading it makes me hate her um and also at the same time see her stuff right like when you read when you read something and you're not in it you can so clearly see other people's shit but I was yeah. just I, what were you trying, is that what you were trying to protect her from or, and has she read it or, I mean. Yeah. I mean, yes, in part one was, this was a person who had an incredible amount of power over me for two years, like my entire life, like my entire emotional state felt dependent on her happiness with me. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like that was 
like how she was feeling about me. It was like the greatest depth of codependence, right? Yeah. And like mm-hmm. most addictive relationships where like, so the idea still, I started, you know, I was writing this like in, I revised that final essay like three or four months after we'd broken up. It was really close. And so I was still terrified of her. You know, yeah. like there's a part of me. You I was were terrified, terrified that you were terrified still of the power that or she had what over she you? thought of you. I mean, I think it was like the emotional mechanism that was so habituated to our dynamic in my mind had not yet released. Yeah. Me. Like I just I had trained myself to avoid doing anything that would make her unhappy with me that I just, you know, it didn't make a lot of sense. It was like, like if I followed that fear to its logical end, it would be like, I'll die or something, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, yeah. I'll be in an emotional vortex uh, from which I will never emerge or whatever anxiety. That's always the end point of anxiety story. Right. So, um, so there was that. And then I also wanted to protect her because I understood why she, she did was, yeah. or I felt like I understood who she was. I understood how I was completely, I chose her. I would not mm. like, I was totally choosing her. I chose it, you know? And, yeah. and I knew also about her background and her pathology. And like, I, I understood her and I still loved her in some way. And, and I also knew that I wouldn't include any of that in the book that like out of respect for her, I would not say anything about her family, her background, even though like that kind of backstory would would probably have made her more sympathetic. I knew she wouldn't want me to put any, even disguised information about her family or where she comes from, you know, like she wouldn't, and I wanted to honor that. So I knew that in order to explain more fully the dynamics, I would just have to lay bare sort of the mechanics of our relationship, which was very manipulative and sick, you know, in many ways. Um, I just didn't want to do any, and also like, Nobody, you know, and I say this in the book, like when I had friends who were in, you know, relationships like this before, like I was sympathetic to them. I loved them, but I thought I was much, much healthier than them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you don't know, right? Now until you're in it, it looks so fucking crazy from the outside. And it is, but there is an emotional hook that you're on and it has nothing to do with intelligence or even emotional intelligence, no. you know? something you said that I that like got me in the gut um in the book I wrote it down you said all my life I've been lamenting the distance between what I know and what I do yep yep yeah I think like the I think that again I haven't even had time to like process everything about this book because I read it in two days but um it's it left me with such an unsettled feeling because um, for a few reasons, and, th- and then there's a question at the end of this. The one one of the f- reasons is because I relate so much, so it's just like that closeness, you know, um, to your own stuff and and relationships that I've been in. And then two is like the story between you and your dad, um, and sort of how I guess there's a sense at the end that. It's, it's nobody, like, I wanted to hate her, too, 
and, and in parts I did, and it always made me feel bad better when I could hate her. Mm-hmm. But then there are there are parts that when I hated you, you know, mm-hmm. when, when I hated your stuff, and I and mm-hmm. I was like, oh no, it's her fault, and I kept going, it's like her fault, no, it's her fault, and I kept looking mm-hmm. to like cast blame, right, mm-hmm. and to make one person right and one person wrong, one person like the victim, and mm-hmm. I realized at the end, and sort of what you come to is like there was no, there's no like final retribution. There's no like mm-hmm. comfort in sort of the ending. And that's the truth of it. Mm-hmm. Like there's really no safety net when it comes mm-hmm. to romantic relationships. And I think that's the truth I've been trying to avoid mm-hmm. my entire life. Right. Is like, wait, mm-hmm. no, she does get to resolve it. Like it, it mm-hmm. resolves itself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I'm not, and I'm not even like all my intelligence knows the opposite. It's mm-hmm. just like, you told a story that was so close to the bone that it was like, oh, oh, I can't lie about this anymore. So the question is like, cause we get a little taste of it mm-hmm. in, in the ending, but like where, how do you really feel about this now? Like, how do you feel about her now? How do you feel about this? How do you look at it? Like, what does it look like today? Um, oof. well, we, I'm just taking my time because I, yeah. because that's a really good question and I'm not, I just want to like have a tiny conversation with myself. So I make sure I'm being You're honest. Right. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, well, she and I in life are completely estranged. We do not speak. Um, and I could say more about that, but I won't because I don't think that's really what you're asking. Um, how I feel? No, I, I, I think that's important too. Like I, I, and you don't have to answer this, but I would want to know if that's by choice or because you have to be, or does it not that's matter? By, that is by choice. Mm-hmm. Okay, by choice. Um, and how I feel about her is. It's unlike how I feel towards anyone else I have ever loved, which is weird. And I don't know if I knew that that was true until I'm just saying it right now. Um, And I think I need to bring in the first part of what you said, because there was something so different about this relationship. You know, I've been in love many, many times and, and I never, it was like, I knew that the reality that love and you know, other people could hurt you was real, but I had never experienced it. Like I had never experienced feeling that vulnerable in a relationship. And, yeah. you know, I knew I had these, you know, this is like in many ways, the the subject of the book, right? Like I knew I had yeah. abandonment issues. I'm making little quote fingers right now. And I knew that by always dating people that I, suspected loved me slightly more than I loved them or at least feared losing me more that I was avoiding those and that I feared there was like an a bottomless cavern of terrible feeling on the other side of that I had never experienced it and I didn't and in the way that we feel about things we've never experienced it wasn't really real to me I didn't really know and I suspected it wasn't real that it was just like a, a a story I told myself because of whatever my emotional scars and that relationship proved to me that it was fucking real you know (laughs) like I was in an emotional vortex that was the most painful like I've been through some painful shit and that was by far the hardest it was so 
painful. It was incredibly painful. And so the idea that I was, and I actually believe it was for her too. And really, I do. I think it was. And I don't know, I can't really put that in the context of the rest of her emotional experience. I don't know how it compares to her other kinds of emotional pain. For me, it was extraordinary. It was an outlier. Um, For her, I don't know, but I do know that it was painful and that she was also obsessed and that we were both sort of um, in bondage to it with each other. Like we, we shared that and no one else did. Yeah. It was, you know, so she is a person that I lived through the most harrowing experience of my life with. And so there's a way that I feel like I will always know her and she will always know me in a way that Mm no other on the planet ever has, or maybe will. And on the other hand, like, I don't ever want to see her again. (laughs) Like, I think that's natural though. Like you just described kind of what it's like to be married to someone and get divorced in a way. Um, because it's like going through war or something like, like the amount of pain. Um, and what, what I want to ask, like what, Nate, what do you, what was the pain? Like I have my ideas about it, but what do you think the pain was exactly? And why was it so acute? Well, there's a lot of different ways to answer. It's sort of like I had to write a 300-page book to answer that question. <laughs> that you know, I think that everything I write has this like sort of terrifying, incredibly complex question that I do not have an answer to driving it. Like that's the engine that turns over the book, right? So, um, but if I can try to summarize it, I would say um I think it was a combination of a few things. I do think that there was a factor of addiction in it. Yeah. Like I think I was addicted to her. You know, I think yeah. I was I think I was addicted to her and because I recognized the behaviors, um, the way that I threw the rest of my life aside mm. for, you know, like I would have done almost anything. Yeah, I would have done almost anything to be close to her and to be in the good parts of our love. And I think like we did crazy things, you know, so I do think that there was an element of compulsion, which is part of my DNA. I believe that, you know, like that was activated with her for sure. But I also think that it was coupled with this incredibly deep sort of emotional redemption like and I and I try to answer this question there's a lot of sort of paradigms in psychology that speak to this and mythology and that I had this very deep need to win the love of someone that I've had this unresolved need to sort of win someone's love and to prove myself right Mm -hmm. and she presented the perfect object on which to reenact that at the moment when I was ready to take it on yeah. Um, when uh, I, yeah. When I read it, so I, it's, so the thing that fascinated, I think the thing that drew me in to, to trying to unlock, I mean, it's, it's, the whole thing is, is weird because I mean, for reading this book, but also just, um, but you and, and how I found you is part of me unlocking the story within me, right. Of the, the same theme, the same theme of being abandoned and rejection, um, and being unwanted and, and, and love and all this. And when I, it's funny because my first, um, 
my first uh, what I my first read of you was that you were somebody that was unattainable. I mean, that was my first. That was my first read of you. The reason that I got pulled into stalking you <laughs> slightly yeah. um, was because there's this picture because the because the man that you and I mutually dated abandoned didn't abandon me but rejected me and and there was this picture and I, I couldn't p- piece it together. It was very confusing for me because it was very um, it was very confusing, right? And it was and my story is is the opposite of yours. I feel and that I had consistently sought relationships where I would be abandoned that my my history is being loved less loving more and being loved less is the opposite um and and looking for that right um and so when there was this picture I was trying to piece this thing together my same thing my same thing over and over again I was trying to piece it together and there was this picture that he had taken of you and because none of it made sense and then for me I saw this picture of you and I for some reason just thought oh he's still in love with her and for me that was that was my read on you right and so when I read whip smart right when I got kind of deep into that and there is this theme of you talking about leaving people before people leave you or or being in relationships with people that you know love you more um and I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. Um, that there's this like there's this quality to it that it's almost um, it's almost shocking, right? To go from mm-hmm. being that in relationships um, mm-hmm. because most of us kind of do this. Like for me, I've done, I've had to keep going into the fire of being abandoned. I've had to mm-hmm. do it over and over and over again to actually break free of the fear of being abandoned, right? Which I've done, which has been part of my story. And it's, it's, you know, it's been like explosions. You talk about this breaking, like the sound of breaking. And I know Mm -hmm. that sound. I know that sound. Mm -hmm. That sound was the, I mean, I wrote Mm -hmm. a piece on that sound because I know that breaking. So anyway, all this is to say, I think it's for me, what was really surprising was that you, it feels like you did a 180. It feels like most people do the same thing over and over and over again. She feels like she was not the same thing. It feels like you did this complete and total opposite thing. Um, I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. No, I'm totally with you. Um, and I love, love this conversation. Um, but I think that people, we do, we do, we, we tend to be leavers or the left, right? But I right. think that people who are always leaving and people who are always being left have the same issue. It just configures yeah. in a different set of defenses, right? I think I think it's the exact same thing. Um, but we just replay the story. And maybe that has to do with the models that we have, or I don't know how we choose our survival method, but... Um, well, there's but two I, ways to fix it, right? You can keep leaving someone or you can choose yeah. to be left and yeah. over and over again. I think it's the I totally, yeah. 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 And I think that, um, you know, it was weird because I, I, I did do the 180 and but in this weird way at the end, it almost felt the same where like I had to leave her and it was so incredibly painful, you know, mm. um, but I had it, like it was 
it felt like the completion of some, you know, like I physically felt like I'm done. Like I've done what I needed to do here. Yeah. <laughs> like I walked through it and it wasn't quick, you know, it was, it was not quick. Um, and I had to go all the way to the other extreme. Like if you had told me that that was going to happen, I would not have believed it. I would not have, <laughs> because that, it's so funny. And I also want, I want to earmark the picture that you talked about because I want to know what picture it is. But, um, <laughs> but there is a way that I think I have cultivated not consciously, well, consciously in some ways, but unconsciously in many ways, just through my choices. Like I've cultivated this way of being where like I want people to want to be with me and to be kind of obsessed with me and I want to always be able to walk away. Right. And right. I'll tell you when you I have no idea what that's like. <laughs> when you have cultivated a romantic persona that way that's so integrated into your consciousness and your behavior, it's very fucking hard to undo because I am after that experience, I felt like, okay, I don't need to do this anymore. I don't need to have these lovers who are completely obsessed with me and who I ultimately feel smothered by and have to abandon and then feel guilt. Like I'm done with this story, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and then, but so I did celibacy for six months. This is part of my process, right? Like I did, I broke with her and I had a series of small relationships where I sort of reenacted very familiar stuff, but I couldn't do it anymore. Like it just didn't, mm. instead of three years, it would be like a month. And, and you reenacted uh, it based on the, being the lever? Yeah. And, okay. Being the lever. Being the lever. So it's kinda, I it is like drugs in that way, right? You're like, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't even get high anymore. Like I'm not even oh, getting high anymore. Exactly. I'm still yeah. attracting, like I had this one relationship and, um, where it was like exactly what I've always done, where we like got together, we had good chemistry and we were in a relationship in like five minutes, right? We spent yeah. every night together <laughs> and within, usually I would do that and then I would like live with that person and be with them for like three years is my, you know, it's almost like on the nose. <laughs> like I get together in September, I break up in August <laughs> three years later. And, um, and with this one, it was literally like three months where I went through the whole process, but it was expedited where I was like, <laughs> it was like, I just couldn't do it. And then I broke up and then I was like, okay, clearly I can't just think that I need to be on my own and be on my own. I'd been in a string of monogamous relationships since I was like 15. So I had to do the celibacy thing. So I took the six months and now I'm back to dating and I'm it's so interesting, you guys, because I am still attracting the same people. Oh but God, I, I didn't want you to say that. <laughs> no, it's, I know. I, but you I know, it's true. It's true. I know, but I'm like, I'm like, Melissa, please help me. Help Change me. is so slow. You want the story to be that I have this incredibly harrowing, tormented, dramatic relationship that like, peels away all of my emotional skin and I want you to be person. I know. But unfortunately that was the turning point and now is the work, right? Like I'm ready and I have the information and I have the tools and now I have to use them. And and so what I'm doing is going on dates with people and in my mind, like I am I am changed, right? So I go on a date with person and I'm like, I'm not looking for anything serious, you know? And they're like, please don't abandon me. <laughs> On the first like, date. Oh. <laughs> so it's like, well, now, yeah. But I'm now not the same. Still. 
it looks so crazy to me. These are like people with whom I might even have chemistry and they want to do the same thing I've always done. I can't really right. blame them. Like these are the same people yeah. I would have gotten involved with before. But I'm like, whoa, you have terrible boundaries and you're also not listening to what I'm saying. Like this actually doesn't feel intimate. It feels scary. So right. I'm going to go and I don't think we're going to go out again. So I just keep having that. Well, it's so interesting well, you, you say that. My Right. Well, it's so interesting you say that. My, I mean, I continue to, it, I'm cycling faster, but I continue to attract the same exact man. And the other night I got in, a, in the car with one of my girlfriends who's going through a divorce, right? Who is like, is like, is a wife. She is like, she attracts men that want to like, want to make her, her, their wives. And mm-hmm. I attract men that want to text me things like go away. And so <laughs> like, she we get in the car and she's like just getting a divorce and she's dating like four men and all of them want to put a ring on it and I was just sitting there where I'm like how the fuck does this happen like how does this happen and that's not what she wants like that is not even close to what she wants she wants a man that wants to give her her freedom she attracts men that want to lock it down and so we were just laughing but for me what I found is really interesting is that like I keep on having to like these guys keep on coming in and each time I do it, I'm much quicker to the draw. I'm much quicker yep. to seeing like, Oh, nope, you're not hit. You're not it. Don't want it. Not yep. going to do it. Not going to even like yep. send the signal out to the universe that, that I want anything yep. to do with this um, until yep. it changes. Right. Yep. I'm doing it. I know it's the same thing. And I'm just like, you're like, my friends are enjoying it so much. They're like, you're like a, an SNL skit of yourself. Cause I'm like, <laughs> so on day, or I, cause I'm looking for like, just hanging out and sex yeah, and, and trying to figure out like how I can have that. And I will find like, like I have this person who I've been friends with for a long time. Who's like notorious. Like she just sleeps with people and that's it. Like she's not, she's wasn't an open marriage. Like that is her whole situation. She is like all about casual sex. And so she and I, I was like, all right, let's do this. Cause we've had, <laughs> Tell we've me had and we went on this like trip together and, and this friend of mine was like, you know, I was like, she was like, it's this really weird thing. I don't think I've ever said or felt like this before, but with you, it just feels different. Like this might be a relationship. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Really? You know, like it's just so good. It's so hard. It's really, really bizarre. And I mean, I could give you a hundred things. It just keeps happening over and over and over again. I'm like, okay, I just have to keep, I don't even know what needs to change at this point. Maybe just like the scent I'm giving off or, I don't know, but, but I'm going to keep doing what you're doing until, I mean, I, and, and I think the answer is probably like, there's still a part of me that feels very, you know, unfortunately when we're ready to change, it doesn't mean that we're like completely done with all of the things that need to, you know what I mean? Like I still want to be adored. I still like to feel safe and it's very safe to be with someone who is obsessed with you. Yeah. Yeah. No threat to leaving. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm still afraid of abandonment, but I'm like trying. So it's like, you know, baby steps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you become aware and then that and then that doesn't change it, though. It's the same. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like stages, increasingly uncomfortable stages of having knowledge and not being able to entirely change what's happened. Like at this point, where I have the knowledge, I'm 
I am, I have changed a lot of my behavior, but it's not completely there yet. So it's like still going and it's uncomfortable because I can see it all, you know, it's like, Uh. like the way that, um, you know, it's like getting sober. I had to like look at all the ways I was lying to myself and you can't unsee that kind of ugliness. Right. <laughs> and there's a lot of things I can't unsee now that are not the most flattering views of myself. And I'm just going to have to continue to live in that until I can like really let them go. Okay. Uh. <clears throat> so how, when you talk, so you're actually, Laura, I'm sorry, did you, were you about to ask okay. something? Okay. Um, when you, when you were writing, so when you, I think it's interesting that you say when you wrote, um, when you wrote Whip Smart, right, you, you wrote it from somewhat of a dissociate, I don't know, you said your therapist said that yeah. it was being written from some, somewhat mm-hmm. of dissociative place. Um, and what you're writing now is, is not dissociated at all. Um, in fact, it's, I think it's like some of the most vulnerable writing that I've ever read. Um, Thank you. yeah, I mean, it, it's, um, they're two, they're two, I think they're two, they're two very similar books, but they're also two entirely different books. Can you kind of talk about, um, I think the thing, no, how do I want to say it? How, okay, so what was your, what was your process for writing this book into, like, how, I don't, how did you bring all of those words together? I know that sounds like a, it's like a, no, okay. no I don't know how to ask the question because it's like, it's written in a way at first, let me actually, let me just say this a little bit more. When okay. I was reading it at first, I was like, I was lost. I was, cause it's not my typical kind of book. I'm very linear. Right. And when I was reading it at first, I didn't know what the fuck it was about. I just was like, is this about, are these, oh, the, I, I was like, oh, these are collections of essays at like maybe I don't know 60 pages in that was when that hit me um and so as I'm reading it um it there's I think the thing that like took my breath away the most about it was that there was um such creative license in it like I like I feel like as I'm reading it like you are doing things that I didn't know that people could do with words um like that Mm. we're allowed to do if that makes any sense but the other thing with it as well is that as you're writing um what it feels like it feels like sometimes I, it's hard to say, like for me, when I write, sometimes I want to like, like put my fingers through the keyboard. I feel so much like I feel mm-hmm. so much. And in whip smart, I think this is what I'm trying to get to in whip smart. I didn't feel very much. I understood it and I got mm-hmm. you and I was, I, I understood your story and I understood a lot yeah. about you. But when I'm reading mm-hmm. this, I hurt and I feel, and I know it's almost like you are putting into words things that, um, like sound like a scream um -hmm. or that yeah like it feels like the words you're putting into words things that um that I didn't think could be put into words and so I guess I I don't know like exactly what I'm asking but I I just want you to talk a little bit to that can you talk sure (laughs) first of all let me just say I'm so glad that this is being recorded so that I can listen to you say that over and over again (laughs) in the future (laughs) because that's like the nicest I mean, that's exactly what I was trying to do. And that's what it felt like to do it and to experience it, right? I was like, there's no way to describe, like, it's indescribable, you know? Um, and right. I was like, all right, I'm going to try to do it anyway. Right. Um, and with Whip Smart, I do, I think it was much more sort of cognitive, you know? Um, and I and I did find feelings, but not like I did with this one. And 
when I was writing this book, and I love that you said, how did you put those words together? Because that is how I wrote the book. Like, that's how I did it. I, you know, the book started, the very first thing I wrote was, um, or the first piece of the book or how I entered into it was through the essay, Call My Name, the one about mm-hmm. my name, which is like uh, arguably mm-hmm. the most lyrical essay in the book. Um, is the what? It's the most lyrical essay oh, yeah. in the book. Like It's, it's very beautiful. And it's and- very language driven. It's like phonics driven almost about sound, you know? So, um, and I started writing that and it was just a little paragraph. It was going to be a little paragraph about my name that was going to be part of something else. And I wrote this paragraph and it felt like a puzzle. Like Mm. I, I had never, you know, I just started to write and the first part I wrote about it was just the way I was trying to describe the way my name felt to me. And I described it like, as a ribbon and like that mm-hmm. language where I was describing the way the sound felt in my mouth and how it felt like me and like not me or like the parts of me that I wanted to disown. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was such an sort of intricate and blind, like I wasn't thinking, you know, I was just listening to it and sort of groping around. It was not an intellectual exercise. Um, and I'd never really written anything like that. And mm-hmm. after I wrote that paragraph, I was like, oh, I have more to say. <laughs> and so I kept going and I kept doing the same sort of like groping. And like I talked this book when I was writing it, like I I said aloud alone in a room or maybe sometimes in coffee shops <laughs> other people were around every word of this book as I was writing it many times. Like I like and in fact, I developed the habit of speaking the words that I'm writing as I write. And now I can't stop doing that. Yeah. So I can never write around other people. <laughs> Interesting. Say it loud as I'm writing it. And, and I sort of felt my way through another paragraph and then another paragraph. And I just kept going. And that essay, I probably worked harder when I wrote that essay. I don't think I've ever worked harder on any piece of writing in my life. Like I hammered those sentences for so long and rearranged them and like read them aloud. And I, and I took, I ended up cutting up every paragraph into little pieces and I rearranged them on the floor and I taped them up on the wall and I've never That's done anything amazing. like this before. Um, and I really, like, I felt my way into the narrative and the emotional understanding through the language and through the words. And I, that was like an inversion of my process. What I've always done in the past is outline the narrative, um, write the scenes, um, come to the understanding, and then I do put the language in last, which I think is a great way to write. It works, but I did this backwards. It was crazy. I had no idea where it was going when I was writing it, and I really just took it like word by word, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, and then let the language and the images lead me mm. to what the narrative. And be, almost every single essay in the book happened that way. It was crazy. And I'm assuming you're also at the same time, like figuring, like, I'm assuming you're learning as you're writing. Like you didn't go into that Mm -hmm. knowing that was how you felt about your name or knowing that your name had that much significance. Yeah, no, I had no idea I could say that much about my name. Um, And I just didn't know that it was like a portal to something that I needed to write about. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's always it. It's always like, at least for me when I write, it's like something snags and I think, Mm -hmm. oh, there's something on like, that's a long thread. I'm going to see where it goes, you know? Um, and I, at that point I didn't even know that that essay 
was going to be part of the book. It was like, I knew I was going to write this book about that relationship, but I was still very deep in the middle of it when I wrote that essay. And I think I wrote the book of hours next. And I wrote the book of hours. I did that on Amaya's living room floor. I cut up all of the paragraphs. <laughs> oh my God. The, her wall. And like, she gave me notes on both of those essays. And, you know, I, I wrote a lot of it while I was in the experience. I sort of wrote my way out of it, you know? Holy shit. Yeah. That yeah. Was- so she helped you edit the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she did. The, the, the first essay I wrote, Call My Name, Book of Hours, The Hickey Essay. I wrote all of those when I was still with her and read early versions. Even the gift one, which was closer to the end, um, I wrote that one. And and I even gave readings where I read those essays into microphones while she was in the audience and we were still together like multiple times. Wow. Um, so weirdly, she already knows most of the book. You know, yeah, it's a it's a weird thing. <laughs> it is a weird thing because as I was reading it, I was suspecting that you were writing it in retrospect, and that was one of the. I mean, it's because mm-hmm. it's so vividly captured, like it's so mm-hmm. detailed, and um, mm-hmm. so that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, and I think in, in many ways, I'm so glad it was like relationships like that. It's like a. Um, it was like I was in a trance, you know, like a big part of it was like existing in a different version of myself, right? Where inside this emotional labyrinth that I was trying to solve, right? It was not, I don't think, it was not the same mental or physical state that I'm in now. It was very different, very heightened. And I I don't know that I could have described some of it as well as I could while I was in, you know what I mean? And oh, yeah. interesting, as I'm, as I'm saying this, it also makes sense that my process was much more instinctual as I was, I mean, it was incredibly precise. Yeah, I, I was going to say the, the relationship, like re, the book reflects the relationship in a lot of yeah. ways. It sounds like for you, like just the process of writing it and, and how it felt and how it comes across the reader for sure. Yeah. Like I wasn't relying on my own emotional logic to get through. I tried in the beginning and then I just totally abandoned it. And I was just like following this part of me that I didn't actually trust. At all. I just couldn't, you know, she was leading. Right. And I just had to follow it to the end whenever that would be. And I didn't know. And, you know, it, it's weird because it's also some of the most precise. It's certainly like the most sophisticated writing I've like I like I just didn't have the skill level to to use language that way um, and to sort of let go of narrative. Like it would have been a disaster. It would have been terrible if I tried to write that way before that. I had to like trust my own understanding of story and of language and the way things sound to be able and to develop instincts in order to follow them. Yeah, it was, it's incredibly, like I I, I completely agree with everything Holly said about it. Um, But as it's funny because Hearing you say, um, you know, you've never like you didn't know that you were capable of writing that way. And that was such a different process. And like hearing you describe it, I would think you have been writing this. We like you have always had this in you. I mean, Mm -hmm. I have we both read a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of books. And I've read a lot of memoirs. And I was reading this and going, this, I haven't felt this way about reading, um, about reading a book since I read The History of Love. Mm. Um, and which is the same in, in not the same book, but it's the same in the, that it breaks 
the mold on convention and style and so the way you jump around and you even use like um use bullet points in some places Mm -hmm. and things like that you know where it's like it's so it's so good and it's so hard to do it's so hard to do um Mm -hmm. and pull off and have the reader follow you Mm -hmm. um so just you know I want to I I want to just say that in terms of praise because it's so I don't (laughs) yeah it's like (laughs) no it's true because as a writer I I um I mean I was like I it made me jealous but it also made me like it inspired me like oh yeah no this is why I write this is why I write thank you so much I mean that's like it was hard. Yeah. <laughs> was hard. I'm not into pretending it was easy. Like it was hard. Like if you had, sh- I think if you had shown me that book before I wrote it, you wouldn't I have been able to yeah. been like, I can't do that. I, or, oh, you know, I had totally. written it. I would feel the same way. And that, that's, I hope that doesn't sound horribly egotistical, no. but like, no, no, no. until you have to do it, what you can do. And I think that's true in all aspects of life. And the only way I had to tell this story that's about, my two fathers and my family and this love. I had to tell it. And so I had to figure out the form that would allow me to tell it. And so there's no way I could have thought of it before I did it because of course, right. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't, you can't describe how you're going to have sex with someone before. I mean, hopefully not, but (laughs) you can, if you can, right. It's not going to be their best story. Right. So, so, and there was a point in every single part of writing that where I, I was like, I can't do this. It's too hard. Like this yeah. story, I'm not a good enough writer to tell this the way it needs to be told. I can't nail it. Um, and I would sit there with all, like I kept cutting like that method of like cutting up the paragraphs and laying them out and rearranging them. I would do that always. It wasn't like, oh, and here's the part where you figure out structure. It was like, here's the part where I give up. And yeah. I'm like, all right, I yeah. guess will try that stupid magic trick that somehow worked <laughs> last time and and I do it I'm like this is you're so dumb like how is this gonna like how does this little like craft exercise lead to like emotional and intellectual and creative understanding it doesn't make sense but somehow I would just do it and then there would just be a moment where it like started to soft click. and it, exactly it, that's a really good description it's like a soft click where I'm like oh there's another level of sense here that I can make out of this. And, and it would, I would tape it together and rewrite it and it would work like every, yeah. but every single time I was like, it's too hard. I'm not going to be able to That's do it. Right. This is ridiculous. I hate I'm you so know? glad and it's so painful I mean, too, right? Because you have that in you, and you can't like that whole. That's like the reason that I think most people don't write is because they have something so big in them, and when you can't translate it onto paper, it's painful. It takes, well, it's so, I mean, I tell this to my students and they just look stricken, but I think it's necessary (laughs) where I'm like, it is, I know you think writing is hard, but it's actually way harder than that. (laughs) It's so hard and it takes so many years. You have to like learn so, like it takes so long to be, get to the soft click like like of a really hard thing like and that's why I don't think it's egotistical like I worked no. so hard to be able to write this book you that's know right. no, I'm it's, incredibly, it's not yeah I don't know it and like I'm sure ego. yeah I'm sure someday I'm gonna look back and be like oh even now like honestly <laughs> even now I read from it and I'm like the copy the advance it's not even 
published yet. And the copy that I read from is already edited in pencil. Like I've already cut so many more sentences out of it, you know, but at the same time, like it's by far the, the best thing I've ever made. Yeah. Like by far. It's beautiful. God, I, it's so beautiful. Yeah. And I can't help but read it and think you're going to write so many books and they're going to be so amazing. <laughs> or if yeah. you don't, you've done enough. <laughs> yeah, no, like, but no please. pressure. But please. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I know I have this like I'm never satisfied, which is the only yeah. way you become a writer. I think so. Like, I'm never satisfied. And then there's another part of me that's like, Melissa, like if you want to like take a breath after this one, you can, Yeah, you know, yeah. like if you want to like go on vacation and not bring your laptop, which is like a horrifying idea, but like you could do that. You yeah. could let yourself do that. You could, yeah. you can do both things. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> like I remember our mutual ex-boyfriend when I was writing this book, I, I wrote the final versions of many of these essays at his house and I would be on my, I was on my spring break and I was rewriting labyrinths and girl at a window and the final essay <sighs> and I was like on vacation like this was yeah. my break and I went to stay at his house and I remember him like staring at me in some level of comprehension because I he, I would like didn't have any time to hang out with him I was like, <laughs> yeah. I was, like stop bothering me you know like I'm working and I just like was like it was crazy you know it yeah. just like takes takes so over yeah, I, I have I have two more questions. I don't know how many more Holly has. I want to make sure we're not like going going uh, way over what you can do. I'm I'm good. I have okay. I have I'm good. I have to go to a lunch at two, but that's two hours from now. Okay, so. cool. All right, go, Laura. So, okay, the first question is, and this is totally for me. It's really got nothing to do with you. <laughs> Although I hope I hope it's. I hope the answer is good for you too. Um, how how do you feel now? Like, how do you feel about relationships as a whole now? Like, are you erring on the side? Are you afraid? Are you? Do you feel more? F I know you. You said you kind of end on freedom. Like you feel mm -hmm. more free, which is mm -hmm. what. I equate to, which is what I would expect, I guess, um, even though it's still unsettling, it's what I would expect. Like, it's like what it feels like to overcome an addiction. It's what it yeah. feels like for me to be yeah. sober is that you're free from this thing. Yeah. Um, so is that sort of the, the underlying feeling underneath all the other stuff or what is it? You know, how do you feel now? So are you okay? All of the <laughs> all of the That's what I really want to know. Are you okay? <laughs> I mean, the, the the biggest answer is yes. Like, I'm more okay than I was before. Yeah. Like, that's, okay. that's the truth. Before answer. you got in the relationship or before? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm more okay. I mean, I have, and I am less, I am less afraid. I'm more free. I'm more okay. And I'm also scared. So sort of mm. all of the above, I guess. Mm. Because one, like, I've gone there. Like, I went to the place that, I mean, it, that relationship was, literally the thing I was most afraid of. Yeah. Like the thing I was most afraid of. I did it. And it was as horrible as I imagined it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was as bad as me. I thought my fear was like, hyperbolic. And but it was really that bad. And and so 
like I've been there. And, and, you know, the thing is, there's a sort of like cultural belief that like once you've experienced incredible pain, you're not afraid of it anymore, but that doesn't actually make sense because why wouldn't you? (laughs) Right. There's (laughs) It's not just one ticket to pain in life, you know? So, um, so in some ways I am less afraid because I actually believe and I feel like I know this I will never have to do that one again yeah I don't think I will ever have to do that one again like I did it and I and I just sort of know that but I also know that I can be hurt and I don't think I think I will be hurt again and and I don't even mean in a larger scope of love like I I just like I am vulnerable and I lost myself and I felt powerless in ways that I believe I probably will Again, not in exactly the same way, but to the same degree in a different way. I think it'll probably happen again. You know, like I will be, um, I will be overtaken by some experience again. And, and so it's humbling in a very profound way. I feel humbled. Like I am not cocky in the same way that I was before that. Um, but can you also say you didn't like from, you weren't hurt to that. Like you, from what I gather and from what I've read, you had built, I mean, from what feels like a really young age, like you talk about how you stopped crying, right? Mm-hmm. About how when your father would leave, how at some at first you were broken open and then you mm-hmm. kind of built the walls up and you spent a long yeah. time practicing not feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I was this had you been hurt like had you been hurt to that point like I mean I I'm, of well, course you'd been hurt but when I I mean like hurt with a capital H yeah I mean here's the thing I don't think I think that when you build a, an emotional wall it doesn't keep you from getting hurt it just keeps you it's a wall between you and your own feelings right right? so so I actually think that having a first father who was never curious about me never cared about being in my life um I think that hurt me and having a father who was leaving all the time and a mother who was devastated, who I couldn't fix. Like, I think that those things hurt me. I think they affected me as much as if I had felt the pain of that. Like the pain is an affect. It's a symptom, right? Just same way that physical pain is a symptom of tissue damage. Right. So I think like I might not feel the internal bleeding, like I might not be bleeding. I might see the blood, but it happened, right? right. I believe yeah. that I was changed and formed and hurt um, by all of those things. And so, and and in many ways, I see the relationship I describe in the book as me finding the feelings, ex- finally experiencing the symptoms of those wounds, which I had to do. And like they had to rise to the surface and bleed in order right. for me to sort of heal. So I think there's a lot of healing for past wounds in that relationship. Like I accessed the feelings and that's why it was so bottomless, you know, like, because yeah. I wasn't crying. And I had that sense when I was with her, I was like, how could I be crying like I was crazy I can't even I'm sort of curious what her story would be about it because it was <laughs> like crazy. you know you knew that what you were going through outsized the situation yes. yeah yeah that it was like really a lot you know I had very strong reactions to things and um it makes and, so much sense I mean you know so about that all the yeah. time 
So I think it was like that hurt was down there and I had to like get it all. I was sort of like, here's my ticket. And I, <laughs> and I I'm getting on. Yes. I'm going to take the bullet train and, and I'm going to just stay until I get 80. And I did. And thank God it didn't. You know, some people that shit lasts like 10 years. Yeah. Or forever. Or forever. Two yeah. years was, no, it was relatively fast. Um, but, you know, like my drug addiction, I don't know if I could have, I mean, literally, I actually mean this literally, I don't know if I could have survived more. Like I have friends who yeah. told me afterward that they genuinely, I meet afterwards, more recently, she's told me, like, I, I was actually afraid that you were going to die, that you were going to have a stroke at 34 because like I was... And I didn't have that relationship. Yeah, that I was so, like, I did not sleep. I was in a heightened, like, adrenaline, sweating hands. I was in, like, flight, like, incredibly heightened state for two years. Like, it was crazy. Like, I really, she was like, that's how people have heart attacks in their 30s. Like, it was I couldn't yeah. watch it. I was terrified. She was like, you would be driving and talking to me and sobbing and out of your mind. I was terrified that you were going to die. God. Yeah. Did you, um, did you, do you have this, do you, does any part of you romanticize it anymore? I mean, I want to say no so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, the but the truth is that, yeah, on some weird level, I mean, not the way that I did. Like, I will, I would never go back. Like, she. Like, it's like heroin or. Yeah. Something. Like, I'll never. I mean, it's actually different than heroin because there's no part of me that ever fantasizes about doing heroin. When mm. I first quit, I did. Yeah, so maybe it's like and that. So maybe like two years later, I'm still, I don't know, two years after quitting heroin, I wasn't fantasizing about doing it. But but I still, I mean, it was the most romantic, it was the best sex that I've ever had. And I apologize to all of my other lovers who might one day <laughs> hear this because we also had amazing sex. It's true. <laughs> But it, there was no other relationship in which I was able to suspend all other forms of logic and thought and completely tap into. And I think anyone who's experienced a relationship like this will know what I'm talking about. Like, oh, yeah, I know. Nothing like that. It was like her, you know, her body became this like confected thing that tapped into my ever, my deepest desire that transcended our relationship or love and sa it was like everything like she yeah, just like yeah, yeah. had her finger in the deepest part of me figuratively, yeah. <laughs> figuratively. And, and and like I don't you know it was really interesting because when I was in it I was like honestly there were times when I would literally think or say to a friend or my therapist like this is the most insane painful shit I have ever been through it is the most amazing physical experience I have ever had like this I have never had a sex experience that was like this and I don't know if I want to like I would I don't know if I would ever find this again and in the end like after it was over or right when it was ending I had the very explicit thought where I was like I I still believe that I may never have this kind of physical um, sexual experience yeah. again and yeah. 
it's fucking fine with me. It's life. Yeah, no, right? I have an I have an ex like that. They call it life ruining sex because it ruins yeah. every sexual experience that you will ever have again for the rest of your fucking life. I mean, I actually don't think that because I really did have a. No, I think it just ruins life. And I will have it ruined my life while I'm having it. Yeah, sure. Uh, but but I don't. I'm totally fine having the perfectly great, incredible, mind blowing sex I had before her. Like that yeah. level of it. Like, do I wish much. I could that without the crazy? Sure, but yeah. I actually don't think it's possible. Yeah. I don't think yeah. it only exists when it has your human sense and logic and life wrapped up in it that it could just throw away like a piece no, of trash. No. Like I only think it exists when it has that kind of power over That's you. That's right. And it's yeah, it's like not sustainable, obviously. And yeah. and it's like the the Richard from Texas version of Soulmates from Epre Love, like that that was it. Like, hey, I'm gonna you know, you can't stay yeah. with that person. You would die. Yeah. But yeah. they're gonna show you your addictions, show you where you're all tripped up and then like get out. Yeah. Yeah. Like and that's the way that I still feel bound to her in some way where I'm and, and there's a way to like romanticized like it was the hottest sex ever and it was the most romantic relationship yeah. ever like I was able to enter into the dream of love in a way that my like better knowing self would not let me because it's ridiculous it's not real you know but I got to like exist in that fantasy like we constructed a fantasy that I got to like enact this crazy draw and I think because it was also so tied to my childhood stuff like all yeah. my child selves were there like it yeah. was like the dream of love that I believed in when I was like 12 years old and reading yeah. Sylvia Plath and masturbating all day oh you know God. like that <laughs> great well you found it okay yeah. but also I, I think there's a romantic I, like there is a romanticism around the pain as well um because there's nothing I mean you know at the highs come the lows but but also I I mean there are per- periods of my life I would never want to repeat it's the most painful things that have ever happened to me um, that I almost miss just for that depth of feeling. And and that also comes across as well. And I think that there's a romanticism as well to, to that. I mean, at, at least when, when I read it, I was that was the part that I felt was the most romantic to me was that depth of feeling, even though it was awful and, and, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, consuming and almost killed you. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I do. I think that, and I think that that was an old, that was a romance that I thought was over. Um, and you know, romantic, you have to, when life is painful, it, it, behooves you to romanticize it it softens it it gives you a narrative that makes sense of it you know yeah. and I didn't I hadn't needed to do that since I got sober really yeah um, and with her I did and I, and I think that I think that she did I think she had a you know whatever I, I don't want to speak for her but uh, but I remember having the thought where I was like I think she has more stamina for this than I do because mm-hmm. it's killing me <laughs> you know yeah. like I really felt like whoa like I am not built for this like yeah. I can't yeah. like this will kill me like yeah. I can't remember anything I'm crashing into parked cars like this is I can't yeah. keep this up yeah. and and seemingly she could. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. But but yeah. I felt at that relationship, in some ways, I felt like I was tapping out where I was like, like, uncle, 
I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you are. Like, you are. Well, I mean, it feels and like I'd, that's like her getting energy and you losing energy. Like her, like, I mean, it's almost feels like that, like, like it's, a, it was food for her and, and, and maybe you were the food. And I don't, I don't know if that's yeah. an appropriate way like, to say I it. I don't, I don't, I don't feel qualified to speak for her, but right. that is how it felt to me in, in, at many points during yeah, I want to, like, because Holly just said that, I, I think the part, one part that I related to so well, and I just want to, this is like a super fine detail, but I just want to, like, recognize it, was how you were almost, um, like, you hated her happiness, like, you hated, mm. like, you, because I still relate, like, you re- you hated her having any happiness that didn't have to do with you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and... Yep. And, yeah. And I think, I, I mean, that was, in many ways, that was sort of the key to the end and sort of freeing myself from it and being done was that I thought, I think we shared that, that we both, like our love, I'm going to call it love, tapped into something in both of us that was so deep and so desperate that yeah. we couldn't, there was no generosity there. Like we didn't, mm. like we, it was all need, you know? And like, mm-hmm. and I saw that. An insatiable in, need. Like you yeah, couldn't, you couldn't find that. Yeah. Like I was, and I remember seeing that in her and I remember recognizing, I was like, oh, she feels threatened by every single thing that I love in my life. That's not her. Yeah. She's yeah. hates all of those things. And, and I, I could also see that there was another part of her that, that respected and objectively loved that I had so many things that were precious to me, like my friends and my work and my family. And yet she was profoundly threatened by every single one of those things. And in some ways I think, um, Oh, I'm not sure. I don't think this was conscious, but wanted to eradicate everything that she saw as a threat because then maybe she would get the thing that would, that would that would satisfy her hunger. And I felt right. the same way. Where, like I was j- so fucking jealous. I was crazy. I was a total mm. psycho in a way I have never been in any other relationship. And I just wanted all of her attention on me. I think we both felt like we depended on that in the way that children do of their parents, you know, yeah. because yeah. we're both right. like up to some really old unfinished business. Like I think that was actually is what it was that we felt yeah. like we needed other to survive in the in the way of children because you had you said this other thing about your parents which I thought was so beautiful um you said the work of love is in building a shared story I didn't write the second part of that but it's something about and allowing those two perspectives to sit next to each other and then you said my parents couldn't do it and I thought mm-hmm. about how true that is, right? Like mm-hmm. we can fall in love with so many different people for so many different reasons. But when their perspective of or their experience of the relationship somehow, you know, can't sit next to ours and and, and mm-hmm. both of those things are allowed to be and they don't threaten the other person. Mm-hmm. Like I've been with some I've been with people before where their experience of our relationship is so profoundly they could be in love with me, but their experience of the relationship mm-hmm. is so profoundly different than mine that it's offensive. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes there is theirs is more loving than mine. Yeah. It's, that's that's almost when it's the worst is when it's, my yeah. experience is so painful and their experience is so loving and yeah. so just I, I still love you. Yeah. I still love you. I still love you. I'm not in pain for the same reasons you are. And yeah. that 
can't it just can't work and how I think it's always offensive right because that's how we make sense of the world and and you would have to disown I mean it takes something I don't think it makes me feel very human do that yeah it's the most I feel like it is the most human thing and and I thought about that a lot as I was writing that book because I was trying to figure out what it was about I was trying to figure out what relationships were about and where that and it always has seemed insane to me that you can share a story and inhabit a story and love someone and know them. I know. And then when you break up, I remember breaking up with a friend of mine when I was like 12 and being like, I don't know how, like, it feels like a crime against nature for me to see <laughs> her, even though I am like, I also like, it was a mutual ending. Like it really does where I was like, it feels like a giant criminal emotional lie for us to be like, hi, hi, you know, and not be like, I know what your soul looks like because I still know what her fucking soul looks like. Like right. whether we want to acknowledge it or not, like it just feels repulsive to not acknowledge that. Right. right. And, and that's what it always, that's why breaking up always feels like a, an annihilation or like a, like there's something that feels you have to betray a very deep part of yourself in order to acknowledge another very deep truth. Right. Like you're never completely done. Like there's always a part of that still shares intimacy with that person. And so it feels like a violation of that to turn away from it. And and in the beginning, it's so easy because, you know, it's like couples love to tell their story. And even when they're like the relationship is in trouble, they still love to tell their story because that's like the shared narrative. But ask a broken up couple to be like, tell me the story of your breakup. There is no story. There's just very conflicted stories until you get far right? enough away that people don't care. They, it's the stakes feel lower, right? Um, right. So true story. and how much it can hurt yeah. you. Like it makes me, doesn't it make me think like, cause I know Holly and I have talked so much about, you know, our own relationships and just how much your own perspective of the relationship can just annihilate you. And yep. that it's mm-hmm. not actually true. That's right. Mm-hmm. Like, it's there's like your experience, that person's experience, and the actual yep. truth. Yeah. Yep. I mean, and there's like a really uncomfortable and accurate analogy there for writing, also, because oh. like what not only do I have to like figure this stuff out about the two different stories, but like to write down my version. It's your is, version, right? I have yeah, I have to just accept that like she is probably going to read this book and be like, lies! You know? I know. <laughs> I know. And, and I have to, like, that was why I wrote the first version that our mutual ex was like, what is this? Because I was like, oh, God, I didn't want, I wanted to, like, I didn't want, I wanted to find one that everybody would be on the same page with, and that's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible. Yeah. No, it is. And as, it, like, my sister and I have a really, comp- we we love each other deeply, but we have a really complicated relationship. And, for years, she would read my stuff and then we'd have a really long talk and she'd say this was not how it happened. And we finally are at a place where she understands this is what happened from my perspective. This happened in my life. This actually happened for me. Um, yeah. And that's such a hard thing for people to understand it because it is my truth. It is. Mm-hmm. It may not be your truth. It may not be reflective of a damn thing that you experienced, but it is exactly I what I experienced. I know. Um, and it's funny that you say that because I actually had an incredibly painful, enlightening experience with my own brother of mm. who I've n- never written about um, in, until the essay until in this, this book. Yeah. And, oh. and it was um, 
It was so hard and it felt so meta because it was literally us trying to negotiate having different stories and ultimately like the takeaway from that where I was like, it sucks. It's not fair. Like there really are both of our memories are true. Like our interior experiences are both true. There is no way to reconcile them into one story. There's more than one story here. And, um, for I happen to be the one who's a writer. Like yeah. it is not fair. It is how unsettling that is. Oh my god, yeah. it's not so, fair for, if for him to like censor what my work is. It right. would not be fair. And for me to write a version of a very intense thing that happened to him that feels untrue to him is also not fair. But yeah. that's like life. Life isn't fair. That's right. You, was it about you? The essay you wrote in this book about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. him and and he read it and was like no, what the fuck and that didn't happen yeah yeah, mm. yeah. and I how is he with it now because that's brother. so yeah, yeah. i mean he cool <laughs> he's he's not that cool yeah i mean like i think we're, we have accepted where we are yeah and we went through multiple revisions and both uh i mean there's ways that i would have handled differently yeah. um but and I, I mean, I really learned a lot. I think I really faced before I was like, uh, it's always the writer's right to tell her own story. And this time I thought, okay, like it, sure, you can make that choice. Like it is a power that we have. Is it always right? I don't know. Like, would I always choose to honor my own story? Maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't necessarily think that that's always yeah. right. Yeah. You know, like yeah. in some ways, I think no one deserves to tell anyone else's story. And, th- and that experience was much more intensely his than it was mine. Like, I, I think objectively that's true that like that. So was why, most- <laughs> why did you decide to keep it in then? And I'm seriously, I'm asking. Yeah, no, that I know. I I'm seriously, I'm seriously thinking about it because I, I'm, I mean, in the context of my relationship with my brother, I don't, think it was necessarily the right thing to do but from my perspective as myself and as a writer I think it's a really important story oh yeah I think it will and I think it will help a lot of people and I do do, do too I and and ultimately like I mean what's really makes my skin crawl underneath that answer is that I value the power of my own work over my brother's feelings Mm. that hurts not cute it's not cute (laughs) I didn't know that I didn't know that Uh, do you think it's the value of your own work because I I don't know I mean to me when I when I'm confronted with that I also think it's 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 your story it's not even your work it's actually your story yeah you're right there is an element to it also where um I mean, I think from his perspective, he thinks I'm telling his story, but that's actually not. No, it's your I story. I don't believe that. I know. I mean, that's how. And I think every writer would see it my way, and yeah. every person who's ever written about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I see. True. Totally yeah, with your brother. I think, <laughs> yeah, like please don't tell me that. Exactly, and I think that we have our own narrative, right? Like, yeah. like my story is that that's my. Of course, it's my story. I didn't write about like, and actually, you know, like I included some revisions that include thoughts and feelings of his that I wasn't privy to at the time, and that felt weird to me. That actually felt like a transgression, even though he was yeah. asking me to put it in. Yeah, and interesting. For me, like, 
I have this set of morals that I wasn't aware of before, even though I was functioning <laughs> according to them, which is that if I stick with what I saw and thought and felt and remember, I'm allowed. Like that's yeah. the only thing. That's my compass. I, I can be faithful to that. I cannot speak for other people. I cannot talk about how I think they felt and, th- you know, like that's dangerous territory. That's right. Um, but I love that. And I think that that makes, I, I think I, I understand that more than most things, which is, which is, that's, that's how I write. If it's true to what I felt, I mean, it's, then that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, it goes without saying that that's subjective and it's not, yeah. I don't think it's right for anybody else. It's mm-hmm. just this one version of things. It's, it's as truthful as I can be. That's right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your dad, your actual biological mm-hmm. father, because I, so you work, I mean, am I right or am I wrong? You're, you're an activist, but you also, don't you work in, in some sort of Native American community? You work at a college I that, do. okay. I work at a college, yeah, I work at a college that's um, Native focused. Okay. Um, so you, so you, and you are, your biological father is Native American, um, yes. and so I like the part of this story, cause I think that this is also important. And I think that especially with what's happening in our country right now, I think it would be, I think it would be really wonderful to have a small conversation about, about this. Cause especially since this is your work, um, yeah. but you write this, you, I guess my biggest questions in this, there's, there's a couple of them. N- number one, um, did you, I, it, it feels like you identify now, especially because it's your work um, with that community, with the Native American community. I'm guessing that's an assume that's an assumption. That the other part that I want that I'm curious about is um, how like that came about, based mm-hmm. on the history that you have with your father. Now I want to read this one part of the book that was um, startling for me. Um, not startling; it's a dumb word to say. It was just it was it was moving. So you wrote. There were bumper stickers in our liberal town that read no war. Even as a child, I was struck by the naivety of such a sentiment. Who wanted war? War was what happened. War had won us our easy lives. Bumper stickers were a spoil of war. The luxury of denouncing war was a spoil of war's won. But this was different. This was a genocide that had been erased, not a secret, but a choice. What I wondered if the Nazis had won. I would have learned their glory in my history books. I might never have met a Jew as I had never met an Indian, though they were the namesakes of the streets in my hometown, the beaches where I swam, the villages that surrounded us. I lay in my room and cried. Um, and so I think like it's a, it's to me, the, the, the whole part of that was, um, the, what if the Nazis had won? Um, I Mm -hmm. never thought of our history in that way. And it was, Mm -hmm. I mean, even though I consider myself, (laughs) um, liberal and open and like, and, and also spend time researching as much as I can, Mm -hmm. I found that to be one of those things that was Mm -hmm. like, huh, right. Um, so I just, I don't know. I want you to talk a little bit about how you've kind of come o- come to explore this part of your history um, and then also what you do now, like why, why this is, why you, why you teach where you teach. Right. Um, whew, this is also a complicated question. I mean, I think it's important. I'm going to address the first part of your question and, um, and that is about identifying with a Native community and, and you know, it's... It, it's kind of complicated because in many ways I don't. And, and this book is, is about acknowledging 
parts of the history of this country and how they formed me and how they sort of informed my family history, my biology. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's not about claiming my native identity. I don't really believe that I have a native identity. I mean, my understanding of sort of race and ethnicity and all the things that being native means in this country or most of them, those are not my experiences. I did not grow up on a reservation. I did not experience those direct legacies. And I do not experience what it's like to be perceived as a Native American in this country. It's a very specific experience. So, I mean, the same way that I think someone who, there are, you know, people who, I mean, race is a social construct, right? Right. And and it has to do with the way you're perceived. It's not a science. There's like the one drop rule or whatever. That's fake science. But but like if you are perceived as a brown or black person in this country, your experience is radically different from anyone who's perceived as white. And I've been perceived as white for most of my, or, you know, people ask me, what are you? Or I'm like, even in my town, I think I did experience that a little bit, but not even close to the degree to which people who are really native or really African-American experience. And so I'm very careful. And I think it's really important for me and anyone like me to not claim that experience. Like I did not grow up being someone, you know, and so that's not my experience. And I also not, it really like, I didn't mean to, yeah, no, it comes, I was, I'm asking because I'm assuming you do have some association to it just from what you do for a living and because of your social media profile that I shocked. Yeah. And I, (laughs) and I think it's really, it's, so it was very tricky for me because I don't, and I didn't grow up in that community. I was not created by that community, but I was created by America, which is based on the genocide of native peoples. And I was created by people who have a biological sort of native blood, right? So it is my legacy. And, and honestly, I think the thing that most I most wanted to claim was was this experience of being told when I was a kid, this is part of who you are, but not given any information about that and not having any connection to a community and also just knowing that there were parts of me that came from somewhere else that was not my family and what and, and my own relationship to that fact where I felt I was like, okay, I'm connected to this. But there's nothing for me to hook into. And also, I don't feel comfortable saying that's what I am because it's such a weird, tenuous connection, right? So the same that I felt like I was culturally, I was half Puerto Rican because my adopted dad was Puerto Rican. I even looked like him because I was part Native, you know? And so it was like this very weird ethnic experience of growing up feeling like, you know, biologically, I'm part native and I feel connected to that. And that's what I've been told culturally. I call my grandparents abuela and abuelo. Like I know how to cook mm-hmm. teens. I, that's my, I grew up listening to Gloria Estefan. Like that's <laughs> culture, right? So when people say, what are you? I'm like, I don't know <laughs> because I never felt like I was allowed to claim either of those, but they were very uh, much a part of me yeah. in very specific ways. And that's, and, and as I was writing the book, I thought, Oh, it's like that, Kind of, it was this weird sort of personal erasure that happened where I was like, I am this, but I'm not this, but I can't claim it. So I sort of have to hide it. It's, I don't, it was very confusing and made me feel really disconnected. And um, it was a very particular experience. And then, you know, growing up and being a writer and like 
learning about our the true history of our country, I thought, oh, that's, I mean, there are echoes of the ways that people have been erased in this country and that their own understanding of their culture and access to self and ability to claim it have been erased or taken away first by other people, by colonizers, and then it's been internalized by themselves, right? So, th- so in this weird way, like it had sort of warped and perverted in this into me, you know, and I think, I actually think that every single person in this country has, you know, we all have a history of genocide, right? So like, yeah. what do we do with yeah. that? Mm-hmm. It's like, we all, it's like, we're all part of this giant fucked up, amazing family that had this huge trauma that nobody wanted to talk about for hundreds yeah. of years. It's just like in a family, you know, like that, yeah. that is replicated in microcosm in actual families. Right. So <sighs> that's right. Like, I think, we, so I was just like, okay, I'm going to talk about it, right, in this book. I'm going to talk about my experience of it, and I'm not going to change my identity and start applying for Native grants, you know, but I'm <laughs> – but, like, that is part of my history in yeah. this very specific yeah. way, and I can tell my story, and I can connect it to that larger history, and, and through that, my hope is that other people would feel connected to it, you know, and I think, like, as far as sort of working at a Native college – um, I think that even if I didn't, I mean, many of my colleagues don't have a biological connection to it, but it is, I think all of them would agree that it is some of the most rewarding teaching we've ever done in our lives, right? Like I do feel connected to it. And I think that because that was given to me as part of my identity, but I was never shown how to have a relationship to it, that that I have an attraction to it, right? That I want to feel to other people who share this, right? I just investigatively, I want to know what it means. I don't know what it means to me. Um, And so I was like sort of looking for that, right? And then I also just understand this as a piece of American history and a people who have been so radically disenfranchised. I mean, it's just abhorrent. There's no word for it. You know what I mean? And and so that's why, like, even if it wasn't part of my heritage or whatever, I still would be teaching Native writers and talking about it every Thanksgiving in my classes because it's, it is, uh, you know, horrifying how little my students know about that aspect of American history, which is history, right? So, so these are people like these students have incredible stories and they're so unbelievably underrepresented in, in our, you know, culture, but in the literary landscape, you know, so I I can't think of sort of, of, you know, voices that I would rather help nurture and, and amplify. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. That was long and family. Sorry. No, (laughs) No, it was great. great. And it answered a very, I mean, it was, it's, it really answered the question. Um, exactly as I was looking for, um, all right, guys. Well, we are. I have a cameraman here, um, and we're at an hour and forty minutes. And I feel <laughs> I know we can still keep going. I have so many questions. I have so many. So. I mean, we didn't even talk about like, and I think this is important. We didn't even talk about your drug addiction, and we didn't even talk about know, about your prof- being a professional dominatrix. Variety. I know, and we didn't even talk about you being a dominatrix, which I have so many questions about. Not so much about you know the the story that's already been told, but more about you today and, and questions that I haven't heard asked of you and um I just um yeah this is it's it's such a treat your book 
both your books, but but especially Abandon Me. Um, they're just dude. I know. <laughs> I cannot <laughs> wait to shout about it from the rooftop. I know. I cannot Me wait. either. Me either. I cannot. Thank and I wish so I could much. come see you um, speak in New York, but I'll, we're going to be there the weekend. We're, I'm not going to be there the weekend. I'm going to be. I'm going to. Are you going to come to Boston? I am. I'm going to be a, a reading at Brookline Booksmith Ooh, on no. March 6th. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Say which date? March what? March 6th. On March 6th, I believe. It's like the Monday after okay. my book. I'm there. Out. I will totally come and I'll put it on my place. I'll put it on my I'll put my book tour. I'm gonna be in LA for like almost a week. I'm oh, gonna be awesome. I'm going on a really big book tour for like six weeks. So I'm gonna be all over the place. That's wonderful. Um, I can't wait. Well let me just say thank you guys because this was I haven't done I've done a few written interviews. This is my first recorded interview about this book and it's so helpful to be asked mm-hmm. these questions for the first time because now I got to, in a very comfortable setting, sort of feel around what I had to answer them. Yeah. Oh, so that oh, was really it's, helpful for me. The pleasure is on our side. We'll send you a, a copy of it uh, ahead of time so you can review it um, for, your, for that purpose. That would um, be great. And listen to us, like, shower you with fangirl praise. Um, <laughs> Thank but, you so much. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for this. And and also I'm really sorry. I saw I saw that you posted <laughs> I saw you posted on social media um about about your grandmother passing. Um and so Oh I'm, sure. It's thank you. And it's you know, it's easier when people are ninety six. Yeah. And and also you don't you can stop apologizing about social media. I feel like it's integrated enough into our lives that we all need to stop apologizing. We see stuff uh, on I social know. media. Sorry. And you, yeah, sorry I that's saw how the we thing that no, you know, it's so yeah, funny. Sorry, I don't normally I the announcement you made. <laughs> no, it's I don't normally apologize and I'll get I will get over it. Um and, and this has helped a lot. But it's just one of those things. It feels it did feel really I weird know. how I found you. Like it felt very <laughs> I am I am really because of what I do, I'm really respectful of other people's boundaries and I'm really respectful of I don't I don't do the stalking shit. I really don't. And it's been more of a fascination with you to try and understand some of my history, to try and understand mm-hmm. like um you know, some parts of me, but also just because of your work and a lot of you know shared similarities and and also differences and anyway so it but it has had this creepy feel to it just because of how I found you and I promise I'll get over that I'll stop apologizing but it it is funny I mean I it it was like stalking an ex-boyfriend that's what it felt like I I totally (laughs) understand that and I and I I I think I would probably feel exactly the same way though (laughs) I'm in a very different position being the object of it which I have absolutely no problem with so I'm like you know yeah. yeah. No, but I will. This is great. This is so great. And and I yeah, I can't I know Laura and I both. This is a really big treat and, and I know that our people will love this. Um so Oh my god. Everyone needs all the women need to read all this book. All the women need to read it. That's right. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Bye Melissa. Um, oh bye. bye. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> in